Today is February 10th, 2021. The Trump impeachment trial kicks off. Democrats show that they want to go big with stimulus. And the WHO says it's unlikely that COVID came from a lab. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got Another fantastic episode for you here today, bright and early on this Wednesday morning. And y'all, I can say with the utmost degree of confidence that this is the best episode that we have done so far. And and there, listen, there's a reason for that, okay? It's because we're looking at the left. We're also looking at the right. And we're finding that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. If you are new to our podcast Thank you so much for stopping by. We are so happy to have you. Our goal here on this podcast is to do our best to look at the good and the bad on both sides of the aisle and try to parse through all of the division, all of the craziness that's going on in politics here in America and around the world, and try to find a middle ground that we can all stand on, maybe even reach across the aisle and acknowledge the fact that the other side of the aisle, they aren't crazy, they're not terrible people, they just have different views than we do. We want to have our opinions, we want them to be educated, and we want to hold them strongly. So... If that is something that you are interested in, please hop along with us as we jump into our first story of the day, story number one. So for our first story of the day, the Trump impeachment trial, things are heating up in the Senate, okay? Uh, People, the House uh, representative members that came, basically that are coming in, giving their arguments, okay, as to why the Trump impeachment trial should even kick off, why it should be happening. Trump's lawyers came forward and gave their opening arguments as well. And I'm serious, all the juicy stuff is being laid out here in the very beginning, okay? And I will say, so I watched a lot of these impeachment trials that were happening yesterday. And uh, I have to I have to be honest, the Democrats have a pretty solid argument, okay? They opened up right off the bat with a video that basically details the entirety of the timeline for January 6th, okay? Starting with Trump's speech so and ending with, you know, all of the stuff that was happening at the Capitol, at Capitol Hill, the rioters coming in and looting and breaking things and horrible stuff happening. They show a timeline of Donald Trump's tweets, what happened sub- subsequently after Donald Trump tweeted those things. And it was... Uh, not looking great for the Trump team. They also set up the arguments as to why this trial should even be going forward in the Senate. Uh, they pretty much made the argument that, of course, there's precedent for being able to hold the trial in the Senate after Donald Trump has already left office. Basically, the argument is you can't just say that people can't be impeached in the Senate and convicted in the Senate or have a trial in the Senate after they've left office because that would basically allow elected officials to be able to come forward, do whatever it is that they want to do. And then just before the trial kicked off in the Senate, they could just resign and be totally free of any type of punishment, right? doesn't make a ton of sense. I'm going to have to side with the Democrats on this one. Um, But Democrats have a solid argument heading into it. It is pretty interesting to see how everything is starting to line up and shape out here as the impeachment proceedings are starting. So um, before we get into kind of what all is exactly happening, let's go ahead and hop in real quick. This is ABC News reporting on this a day or so ago about the impeachment trial that's kicking off. And former President Trump, after telling his supporters to, quote, fight like hell, his lawyers tonight now saying he only used the word fight a handful of times and didn't mean it literally. 
calling all of this political theater. Rachel Scott up on the Hill tonight. On the eve of Donald Trump's second impeachment trial, Democrats are sifting through video like these. Donald Trump is still our president. Preparing to use them to make their case, the former president is singularly responsible for the violence at the Capitol. In this video shot by New Yorker reporter Luke Mogelson, this group makes it clear who they believe sent them. The goal to force senators, now jurors, to relive the chaos they witnessed on January 6th. Democrats argue Trump spent months laying the groundwork for the insurrection and that the rioters were spurred on by his words that day. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. But All right, so there, that last little clip, Donald Trump standing up on that stage and saying, if we don't fight like hell... We're not going to have a country anymore. So the left, left is coming at this from the simple stance that Trump has been laying the groundwork for this. He's been putting in the time and the energy to be able to stir up strife and discord over the past couple of months leading up to January 6th. And he was purposefully using speech that would stir up a whole bunch of discord, right? And they're playing videos of him using the word fight multiple times in his speech on January 6th. And they're saying that this was purposefully spoken within the context of heightened emotions in order to be able to sow discord, okay? So Trump's defense is arguing a couple things that we outlined last week. Number one, that this shouldn't even be a trial. The Senate does not have the jurisdiction to actually hold a trial right now, which I think is just total bunk. But the main thing is that Donald Trump was protected under the First Amendment to be able to say the things that he said, and that Democrats are using all of this as basically like a huge partisan cudgel to hit whack Trump and Trump supporters over the head with because they're taking out of context the things that he said. Specifically, the idea is basically that Trump was using the word fight right, when he says we've got to go and fight, as emphatic language in order to communicate the severity and the seriousness of the message that he was sending, not a direct call for action, okay? For example, when a coach is standing in front of his football team and he's looking out at all of the guys sitting there with their helmets off at hat time or halftime covered in, you know, dirt and, and grease and they're sweating and he looks at him and he says, guys, we're going to have to fight if we think that we're ever going to win this game, okay? The coach is obviously not saying and he thinks that the players should go out onto the field and get into literal physical altercations with the other team in order to be the victors in that day's football game. He's just letting his team know that they will have to work very, very hard in order to be able to do it. There are plenty of instances where emphatic language is used, and it is not a direct call for violence, okay? The rioters, according to the Trump team, interpreting that language as a direct call to fight and attack the Capitol is on them and not on Trump because Trump never directly said that they should insurrect the Capitol. That's pretty much the argument that the Trump team is starting to put together. The problem is with that argument and with that line of thinking is all the videos of people saying that they were there under direct orders from Trump, okay? The vast majority of the people that were there really believed that they had been told by Trump to go and fight for the country in order to be able to save the democracy, okay? And when things, you know, devolved into violence, you kind of have to place the blame somewhere. And when you have to, you're looking around for someone to blame, and Donald Trump was standing up just an hour before all of the Capitol buildings were insurrected or the Capitol 
building, the dome itself was insurrected. When Donald Trump is standing up there saying, we need to fight, within context, it sounds like a direct call for action, right? When Donald Trump is saying over and over and over again that, you know, you have to fight for your country, you have, when he's using this incredibly emphatic, uh, emphatic language, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of ambiguity to his message, right? And the interesting thing is, and this was outlined in the initial arguments by the Democrats at the beginning of the day yesterday, is that Donald Trump didn't immediately go to tell everybody to stop, Okay. He only wait, he waited, I think, about two or three hours after all of the riots started at the Capitol to tweet out a video. And in this video, he basically reassured the rioters that what they were fighting for was totally legitimate, okay? But he said to just go home and go away peacefully, okay? He never at once, you know... Uh, said that what they were doing was wrong, that they should never have even imagined going and doing something like this, that they should stop immediately, right? Like, it was just him saying, listen, we were robbed, okay? We were stolen of the election, and we don't want to be like them, so we should just go home, okay? Pretty terrible stuff, okay? And what is really, really interesting to me as well is that the whole line of thinking that Donald Trump didn't directly call on people to go and to fight, right? And to 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 raise a huge amount of cane and to cause a big ruckus, okay? Is that I feel like he could have very simply said, I want y'all to march down there to the Capitol. And I want this to be the most peaceful, outspoken protest that has ever been done, okay? When you think back into the 50s and the 60s and all of the civil rights protests that happened, it was very, very clear from Martin Luther King, from the leaders of the NAACP, they were going to go and they were going to protest civilly. They were going to protest completely peacefully, right? And if there were people that were going and rioting within the ranks of the black and brown people that were rioting and pro or protesting, I mean, the civil rights abuses that were happening in the 50s and 60s under Jim Crow laws, if those people went and rioted, they were oftentimes removed from the ranks of the people that were going in the organized protests because they specifically wanted the protests to be peaceful because they didn't want to give the government and racist people the fuel in which to fire upon the protests and the, cause, the causes that they were going to fight for. If your cause is just, you can protest peacefully and get your point across well, right? It's as simple as that. Donald Trump never called for that. He never called, he never looked at all those people and said, listen, I want for you guys to go down there and have an incredibly peaceful protest, but then let them know that, you know, you want your voice to be heard, right? He never necessarily said, I want you to go down there and burn the Capitol building to the ground, right? But he was pretty ambiguous about what he was okay with them doing, okay? Just seems to me like Donald Trump has gotten himself here into a uh, little bit of doo-doo. And it's going to be real hard for him to climb his way out of this one, outside of the fact that pretty much all the Republicans are going to vote totally along party lines. So, with all of that having been said, let's hop on into our second story of the day, story number two. So, for our second story of the day, the Democrats push big stimulus, okay? So, it appears that the Democrats have pretty much come to terms with and decided that they don't even want to try for any type of bipartisan compromise around the COVID stimulus bill, okay? The Republicans, in their defense, 
have made it very, very clear that they don't want to go big with COVID stimulus. They put a plan together. The more moderate Republicans put a plan together. Um, and it was somewhat kind of endorsed with the more, you know, establishment GOP that was for about $600 billion, a bit over $600 billion, okay? The Democrats are looking at that and seeing that as a huge concession and want to continue to push further, with many stating that they want a, that, you know, the close to $2 trillion package that they've put together right now should just be a solid start. And of course, there should be more and more stimulus to come after that. So a lot of stuff is being pushed right now. And there's even more stuff that's being added in, I swear, almost every single day. A new Democrat is coming in and being like, well, you guys were talking about doing this. Well, I think that we should do this, right? Uh, Well, you guys were saying that we should give direct payments. Well, I want even more than that. Let's just, you know, it's like every single day more stuff is being thrown on. So There now are talks, and this comes from uh, Representative, he's a Democrat out of Massachusetts, Richard Neal, the chair of the Way, he's right now the chair of the Ways and Means Committee, um, pretty really, pretty high up in the actual crafting of the bill. He's a, he's a smart guy, but he is a pretty progressive Democrat. He wants to add monthly cash payments toting, totaling $3,600 a year for every child under six years old and $3,000 a year for children from 16 to 17. The idea behind it is basically, if you want to give money to the people that have been affected most by COVID, you need to give it to people who have children. Because if they are out of work right now, then those people with young kids are going to be significantly affected more because they've got to be able to provide for their children. This has been a really, really big talking point amongst Democrats. It's been picking up a lot of steam, especially over the past couple of years, um, And a lot of this honestly kind of goes back to a really big push um, by the Democrats to basically expand the child tax credit that was actually given under the 2017 uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, okay, if that was passed by a Republican Senate and House. So, um the all of this kind of comes from this bill that actually didn't end up getting passed, but it was in 2017 is when it was written stuff called the American Family Act, okay, which sought to give a large, a much larger tax credit to individuals with children. In that act, it outlined language that set income limits at $180,000 per year for married couples and 130k for individuals with kids. And that basically, if the kids were above six years old, they'd get a $3,000 tax credit, and below six years old, they'd get a $3,600 tax credit. So what Richard Neal did um, is he went through and he was like, well, I think that we should take that idea, but we should just give it to people not in the form of a tax credit, but give it to them in actual cold, hard Uncle Sam's, right? Dollar bills, dollar roonies. So many Democrats are basically saying, We have a huge epidemic in the United States, uh, apart from the pandemic that is currently happening, uh, in child poverty. Uh, Currently, right now, according to statistics, there are around 11 million children that are sitting below, that are sitting in poverty or below the poverty line, and that is technically one in seven kids in the United States. So they're saying. What they're worried about is that the pandemic, which has absolutely disproportionately affected low-income and low-wage workers, which statistically tend to affect by a larger percentage of population the black and minority communities in America, that they want to fight back against that in a very, very pointed way, and that is to give money to people with children, okay? So um, Sean McElwee, 
He's a co-founder of a really, really left-leaning group, Data for Progress, um, which is you know kind of a, a, a think tank type group. Uh, but he came out and quoted, the era of small government is over. The era of small deficits is over. We are all Keynesians now. So what he's getting at and what he's hinting at is that the New Deal type of gigantic government stimulus and government bills that was passed in the 30s is now going to be the norm. Okay, small age of small government is over. Okay, uh, we don't want that anymore. We want big government. We want for big spending from the government because the more that the government is spending, the more the economy is being flushed with cash, and the more that people are able to continue to grow and continue to have jobs. So many prominent Democrats, it's not just the progressives. Okay, are starting to agree that going big with stimulus is the way to go. Chuck Schumer. Uh, who is the current majority speaker or current majority uh, uh, in the Senate, majority leader in the Senate, uh, is talking about and looking back on the 2009 stimulus bill that was passed by the Democrats as not going nearly far enough. And as a result, the economic recovery was incredibly slow. This, this is basically what led to the Democrats being totally swept in the midterms in 2010. A lot of Americans were looking at the current state of the economy, and they were pointing their fingers at Barack Obama and the Democrats, who had the majority in the Senate and in the House, I believe in both the Senate and the House. I believe they had total control over the whole government. Um, and they didn't pass nearly enough economic uh, stimulus in order to be able to get basically juice the economy after the Great Recession and get things going. Schumer and Sanders are looking back and forth at each other, Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer, and they're basically saying, we don't want that to happen, okay? We don't want, we don't want for there to be a slow recovery right now. We need to get on the horse and we need to get it done quick because a lot of Biden's legacy and our legacy will be tied to the economic recovery that can happen after this pandemic. So uh, for much of the 80s and 90s, if we think back, we've talked about this a good bit over the past couple of weeks, especially around like Reaganomics, right, and more laissez-faire type of economic policy. Government, there was a huge push towards reducing the size of the federal government, okay? And that even fell in line with Democrats as well. Bill Clinton famously came out and said that uh, said that the 90s were the end of big government, right? Um, as a result, you know, most, most, most of the Democrats were pulling back because the Republicans were coming out and saying, listen, Reaganomics worked. We've had huge booms in the economy. We've seen a lot of a success. The last thing that we need is more regulation. The last thing we need is higher taxes. And the last thing that we need is for, for the government to be upping spending. What we need to be doing is actually getting out, getting rid of a de budget deficit. We want a budget surplus. Okay. Um, the huge problem that a lot of the Democrats struggled with during the Obama years was any time that they decided that they wanted to come out and say that they wanted to have big spending in order to spur on the economy, they were accused by the right of being too far left, right? That was the normal thing that McConnell and a whole bunch of the Republicans did. They pointed the fingers at the Democrats and they were like, you want to bail all these people out. And the reason why you want to bail all these people out is because you're way too far left. You guys are a whole bunch of uh, socialists. But the interesting thing is, is that now the Democratic Party doesn't care if they're being called too far left because the vast majority of the Democratic constituents want that, right? So that Republican mantra of pointing fingers and saying you are too progressive doesn't really work against the Democrats nearly as enough, near, nearly as much as it used to. So um, oddly enough, a lot of the Republicans now 
are looking at this and they're especially the direct payments, okay? And they're realizing that arguing against it isn't going to work very well. The Democrats are going to get what they want pushed through regardless of if they have Republican support because they're going to do it through budget reconciliation. They're not going to let a bill hit the floor in the Senate because they know that the Republicans either are going to filibuster it or they're just not going to get enough votes to hit the 60 vote threshold in order to get everything passed. So, the Republicans are more worried, I think, about than anything is the poor public image of being opposed to giving money to people. That never looks good, okay? Voting constituents always love to get money from Uncle Sam. Always. Doesn't matter if it's good policy. Doesn't matter if it's going to bankrupt the country here in five or ten years. People always love to get money in their pockets, okay? So, uh, Josh Harley, Josh Hawley out of Missouri, or Miss... Missouri. Yeah, I think Missouri. Um, this, I mean, absolutely staunch Trump Republican. Like he was the dude that was standing there. I mean, jumping up and down saying, you know, stop the steal. Like Donald Trump is my president. Right. Um, I mean, I'm sure the dude would cuddle with Trump if he could. Okay. Came out and endorsed $2,000 direct payments with Bernie Sanders. Okay. Josh Hawley. And it's, I think the reason here is incredibly simple. The, a lot of the current voting electorate, especially for and specifically for Trump Republicans, is primarily less educated white male constituencies, right? That's pretty much how they're getting in, voted into office, okay? And that's a gigantic voting electorate. And there's nothing wrong with appealing to that electorate, right? Those people need representation as well. But whereas the Democrats are pushing much more towards like the well-educated, the higher-educated uh, white suburban women and men uh, that are pretty much fleeing from the Republican Party. In order to keep the people that are on the lower socioeconomic status in the United States, or basically latter, that are in the U.S. that are voting for a lot of these Trump Republicans, the Trump Republicans can't be seen as opposing legislation that would put money directly into those people's pockets, okay? So, so far over the past couple months, there have been a lot of Republicans that have opposed legislation that would be paying for and helping get a lot of their constituents pushed by, and their argument is because, of course, that it's fiscally irresponsible, which is totally fair, okay? So there's a couple things here. The Democrats argue that now is the time to give big stimulus because borrowing is cheaper than ever. That is somewhat legitimate, okay? Interest rates are lower than they literally have ever been. I don't see how they could possibly get any lower. And all of this government, all of the spending that the government is doing right now, it's not like they're going in to their gigantic BB&T account, or they're not BB&T anymore, they're Truist now, or Bank of America, right? They don't have a gigantic account. They're going and just pulling this money out of savings, right? Oh, I was saving this for a rainy day and that rainy day came, right? That's not what's happening. They're borrowing that money based upon future taxes that will come in. If you're going to borrow money, now's the time to do it. It's the same reason why I'm sure you guys have probably had real estate agents coming to you over the past couple months and being like, listen, now's the best time to buy a house because you can borrow money for so cheap, right? All, obviously, you know, if the, call, if the prices of the houses are still high, okay, and if they're even higher, you can be borrowing more money but getting the exact same thing. And at the end of the day, you're still going to have to foot the bill somewhere and you're going to be paying more money in the long run. But I digress. So the Republicans are saying that the economy is projected to grow without the stimulus. That is also correct. Jobless claims are falling a bit. The economy is slowing, uh, is slowly but surely adding more jobs. But it's not like it's this gigantic V-shaped recovery that the Trumps uh, that Trump kept saying was happening. That's not occurring. It would be a very, very, very slow creep out of 
where we're at right now if we decided to not have any more stimulus that happened. So will it get passed? Absolutely. Will it be big? More than likely. Is pretty much everybody going to start getting direct payments? Also probably very likely. So they want to be able to get that COVID stimulus bill out and they want it to be huge because they want to be able to have the credit for it. Um, The Democrats, I think, are going to go very, very big on this one. So all that having been said, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's hop in real quickly and cover our last story, our third story, story number three. So for our third story of the day, the World Health Organization comes out and says that COVID didn't come from a lab. So the WHO uh, went to China. They went to Wuhan and they did a report. They did some studies. They asked around, talked to some people. Hey, where did this coronavirus come from? And they decided it didn't come from a lab. It likely came from an animal, right? Kind of what we thought in the very beginning. Probably came from a bat which then transferred it to another animal, which then likely would have transferred it into humans, probably at one of those gigantic, dirty, open-air markets that China is so famous for, okay? They were saying it probably came from a mammal. It's unclear whether it had been through consumption or just contact with the animal at all, right? Maybe somebody was just hanging out with their pet pangolin, right? And they ended up getting it from them. I don't know. The, you know, the WHO wasn't super clear on it. What they did know, though, is that they did an incredibly conclusive study that involved 17 World Health Organization officials, officials alongside 17 Chinese officials that concluded that China was not at fault. In their report, they said, I think our focus needs to shift to those supply chains, to the markets, to supply chains from outside of China even. So the idea is the same World Health Organization that came out and said that COVID wasn't anything to worry about last January, that it was just a small outbreak that China had under control, um, and within the last month updated all of their specifications and recommendations about how to count a positive COVID test, which would directly decrease the number of positive tests that happen and come from the uh, positive coronavirus results that come from it are now looking at us and saying, we want you guys to believe that China did not have any nefarious part to play in coronavirus getting spread to the world. I'm sorry. I don't have enough faith. I just cannot believe that China had nothing to do with this getting spread around. I just can't. I just call me a conspiracy theorist. I don't think it's too far of a jump to believe that China constructed something that ended up being uh, pretty nefarious. Okay. I just don't trust anything that the World Health Organization has to say now, right? And um, the fact that they went and they researched all this alongside Chinese scientists, come on now, come on. So what I'm asking is, why is the whole world looking at this and not acknowledging the fact that it is absolute bunk, right? Like, crazy sauce. Why in the world is nobody holding anybody accountable for this? Why in the world are there not independent investigations going into China and doing actual investigations into what went on and what happened at ground zero? And the answer is China, of course, does not want you to do that. They don't want you to see what's going on on the inside because a lot of what China's doing is probably horrible. So, I don't understand why we, as an entire world, can't just come together and be like, yeah, this is total malarkey. 
we should probably start having some very, very serious conversations with China because they are without a doubt probably one of the largest threats to the entirety of the world of world security at this point in time. It's just like everybody's looking around and like that meme with the dog that's like just sitting around holding a cup of coffee and the entire room is burning around him and he's like, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. We're fine. You're fine. Yeah, come on. At some point, leaders of the world got to get together and just be like, yeah, I'm not buying it. World Health Organization, are you even a thing anymore? Like, why do we have you? You're just producing a whole bunch of nonsense, okay? We have to do something about China. Things have to be done about this because if we don't, things like this are going to continue to happen, right? If you get the chance, go and look up that World Health Organization study because it is actually laughable, okay? So, Totally unbelievable stuff, but that's going to end our show for today. That is the end of our third story of the day. Let's hop on in to our last segment. Honestly, probably my new favorite segment that we've created. It's called Bro What? So in Bro What for this week on Wednesday, we have a great video coming out of the impeachment proceedings and trials themselves. Donald Trump's a defense attorney came up and in the first words that he said, he spoke and said that he was Donald Trump's prosecutor. <laughs> so let's hop in and take a quick look right now at Brian Cast or Bruce Castor coming out and saying something really dumb. My name is Bruce Castor. I am the lead prosecutor, lead uh, counsel for the 45th president of the United States. I was assistant DA for such a long time, I keep saying prosecutor, but I do understand the difference, Mr. Raskin. He then has to turn and say, I do understand the difference between a prosecutor and a defenser. Come on, man. If you were stepping up and working to defend a president in his second impeachment trial, the last thing that you can do is stand there and say that you are the prosecutor on the case. Not a good look. So that I saw that and that just made me go, bro, what? Had to throw that in for my segment. So with all of that, that is the end of the show today. Thank you so much for stopping in, for listening, and for checking us out. As always, y'all, find me on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast. Find me on Facebook at Split the Difference. I'm on YouTube at Split the Difference. And of course, my website, splitthedifference.com with one T. Go and drop me some likes and subscribe, some five-star reviews, and also some thumbs up. All of that stuff goes an incredibly long way in helping me to curate the best content for you, which is what I'm in the game for. As always, y'all, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. Of course, we're going to be reasonable and always split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. <laughs>